Okay, one day there was a Southern Baptist preacher preaching a quiet, soul-condemning message filled with heaping doses of judgment for sinners, and especially for those whom he considered to be the worst sinners in his community and in his church. And for every grouping in that list, he concluded with a matter of fact, they're going to hell. What, it, what made it most disturbing was that the message wasn't loud. While there was plenty of warnings about fire and brimstone, it wasn't a fire and brimstone-y kind of sermon. His delivery was quiet and matter of fact. Almost like a lecture. In fact, his voice was monotone. It kind of reminds you of the, 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 the teachers or the adults when they would speak in the Charlie Brown cartoons. We all know sermons like that. When you start to tune out everything, you don't hear it anymore. You just hear the and you start to drift off to sleepy land. Yes, I've seen it happen many times in my preaching. Well, one day this preacher in the middle of this sermon, as he was preaching about fire and brimstone, but not in a fire and brimstone way, he noticed that one of his deacons sitting on the platform over to his left was drifting off to sleep. His head was nodding and, uh, 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 and the sleep he went. And he got really angry about it. He got really mad. And so, he said very quietly, everyone who's going to heaven, stand up. And everybody in the church but the deacon stood up. <laughs> then he said, okay, thank you. Sit down. Now, everyone who's going to hell, stand up. And of course, the deacon wakes up and he stands right up like Bob. There you go. And then he looks around. The deacon looks around. And then he looks at the pastor and says, Preacher, I don't know what you said, but it must have been right because you and I are the only two standing. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> A wake up call. Pentecost is many things in the life of the church. It's a proclamation of the birth of the church. It's a proclamation that Christ doesn't leave us on our own, on our own understanding, on our own strength, on our own power, our own ability, that as we learn last week with the breathing of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples and He opens their minds to the truth of the Scripture, Jesus gives us all life-changing, life-transforming love, the divine spark of life that fluttered over the surface of the waters in creation, that life that was breathed into Adam, the earth creature, that life that comes to all of us in our first breath. God gives us the ruach, the breathing of the Holy Spirit.
Now, the symbols of Pentecost are, there are quite a few of them, but two of the big ones are fire and doves. Fire representing the split tongues of flame the disciples saw on each other's heads, denoting the presence of God in their midst. Fire has long been one of the biblical cues to the presence of the Almighty. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. The Israelites were led in the wilderness by a pillar of fire at night. On the holy altars, flame was lit to consume the offerings with the smoke wafting up to God. And the, the, the pillar of fire descended on the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the wilderness, indicating the presence of God in the midst of the people. Flame was one of the several representations of God's presence amongst the people. Another image is that of the dove, reminding us of the message of deliverance in Noah's ark story, reminding us of the voice of God at Jesus' baptism saying, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God speaking, God speaking to us in many ways, with many symbols, in many words, and speaking through us in many ways, through many words, with many deeds towards others. That's the dynamic life of Pentecost. Another important symbol related to the fire is red, the color red. As we heard last week, when seen on church doors, red denotes refuge, sanctuary, welcome, peace. When seen in the context of Pentecost, red denotes the living fire of the presence of the Holy Spirit, heat and warmth, comfort from the cold, light in the darkness, revealing truth and the way we are to go. Red's an important symbol, proclaiming strength and the comforting presence of God, guidance and stability, direction and assurance, as well as warming. In our world, we often use red to denote warning. Red alerts on Star Trek, telling the ship's crew to get up and move to another part of the ship and be ready for impending battle. Red warnings of many kinds are intended to catch our attention. Red indicates something that we shouldn't take lightly. We make our stop signs and stoplights red to indicate stop. Pay attention. Look both ways. Wait, or you might crash. And that's also an important element of the Pentecost message. We as the church in our continual spiritual rebirth must pay attention to the signs and indications around us. We must wait for spiritual traffic for the work going on the roads of our lives. We must be aware of the needs of those around us, the cross traffic at our intersections, 
the indicators of rough conditions ahead. And then, once we've noted what's going on and are aware of the needs of those around us and the conditions that we're in, we go, we move, we act. We just don't sit there. We move. And that's where we are as a church. The United Methodist Church is arriving at an intersection in the midst of its life. With the disaffiliation of many churches, most conservative churches, a major change is coming. This last Tuesday, the Iowa Annual Conference disaffiliated 83 of our sibling congregations. That's about 11% of our conference churches. We pray for them. We wish them well. They remain our siblings, our sisters, and our brothers, our friends in Christ, even when going a different direction. There will be more disaffiliations of churches coming in November before the end of this year, and we'll talk about that as time goes on. But this process across the denomination, where about 20% of the United Methodist Church's 30,000 congregations are leaving, most to join a new conservative denomination, is an opportunity for the United Methodist Church to recast our own vision as the body of Christ, as the church called Methodist. As a denomination, we're at a crossroads, and we're looking both ways as we prepare to change some elements of our book of discipline, some of the rules and regulations that have excluded some of God's children, yes, people like me, from full participation, from full inclusion in its life. These impending changes are why most of those who are leaving are leaving. And those changes present us with an opportunity for new and even more vibrant ministries with all of God's children. And that's true right here at Grace Des Moines, where we've been leaning into this open and inclusive message and open and inclusive practice for years. Grace Church is a great light a great beacon for inclusion in the United Methodist Church. It has been that for a long time and still is today. When I first heard that elements within Grace Church were asking for me to come and be your pastor, I was excited because even down in the South Central jurisdiction, I had heard about you and I knew your history as a light shining forth for full inclusion for social justice for all, beginning with women in ministry back in the 1950s, running through racial justice, immigration justice, and yes, acceptance and full inclusion, marriage rights for LGBTQIA people. 
I was thrilled at the opportunity to come and serve as your pastor in this great church. And Grace is also now at a crossroads in its life, looking both ways, preparing to move forward. Now is the time to consider with care what we're doing and why we're doing it and what we should be doing and what we should be doing differently to further engage with our community and become an even more open and affirming church here that God calls us to be. And I'm honored to be here with you as we make this journey forward, growing in love, growing in hope, growing in peace, growing in grace, for, with, and to, and among all of God's children. The gift of the Holy Spirit was misunderstood by those who first observed it in the disciples. They thought the disciples were drunk with new wine. May we be so filled with the Spirit of God's love that we are misunderstood too. Recently, I was challenged online by someone who said that I talk too much about grace and that I needed to talk about sin and judgment. <laughs> I don't believe one can talk too much about grace. It's impossible to talk too much about grace. And in fact, that's where many get off track. We either don't talk enough about grace, or worse, we talk about it, but we don't practice it. We don't share it. We don't live it. We aren't means of grace, instruments of grace, sharers of grace with others. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace powerful witness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grace is what we need. Grace is the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit, burning, indwelling, empowering, enlightening our souls, calling us to be greater and better and more inclusive more loving expressions of Christ's presence here and now in a world that desperately needs the presence of Christ proclaimed to it and lived within it, changing it. We are called as United Methodists to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that's what the Holy Spirit does within us and what we are called to do in this broken and hurting world. Grace, grace, God's grace proclaimed and lived for and with all. That's our calling.
As members of the body of Christ, that's our calling as United Methodists. That's our calling here at Grace Church, proclaiming and living and sharing the grace of God. The grace of Jesus the Christ. The grace of the power of the Holy Spirit. With all. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, Amen.